2: Lifetime original movies are a staple of any TV junkie's diet, and we take them very seriously. So seriously that we've dedicated an entire podcast to picking apart each and every one ever made. The stories, the actors, the stunning dialogue, the IMDb trivia, we're here to discuss it all with the appropriate mixture of reverence and humor, one movie at a time. I'm Molly McAleer, and this is Mother May I Sleep With Podcast.
1: When I was your age, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. Just can't remember what it was. Well, lucky for you, you're cuter than I was. You're just too cute for words, which is probably why you don't have any lines this season.
3: Okay, everyone, places. We're about
1: ready to roll. Okay, guys, you're gonna roll on this. All
3: right, everyone, you got Jason coming down. All right,
2: today's guest is Jason Shapiro of Los Feliz Daycare, Los Feliz Daycare. How do you say that?
4: I've never known, and I don't want to know.
2: So today we are doing the unauthorized Full House story. We both love Full House. This movie is basically, it's a condensed version of a lot of stories. They tried to do like 20 years of storytelling in one movie. Um, And this little like fact card comes up at the end that says, "I I feel it should have come up at the beginning. I feel like I would have been on a journey, on this journey a lot harder had this come up earlier on it says although based on a true story certain names have been changed in some characters timelines and events portrayed in this motion picture are fictional motion picture are, wait motion picture are fictional or have been altered in the process of dramatization
4: yeah i just want to know i have a couple questions to start out with whose names did they change Why is this unauthorized? Who is trying to keep this from the airways? Because I don't think there was anything too salacious in there.
2: I don't know either. And, like, nothing that wasn't in my sister's book, Unsweetened. Like, it was all really there. Like, in fact, a lot was left out. Um, So we open up on...
4: On a rose, right?
2: We open up on a rose. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, I call this, like font they use in this movie, like Times New Mexico. Like, it's like this standard, like, font that you see on every building in New Mexico. Like, Times New Roman, but for New Mexico. And it says the unauthorized full house. And, like, I guess maybe they chose it because it's very 90s.
4: Yeah, I think so. And w- what struck me most about this opening shot, not why was there a rose, it was, it was the year. It was 1987. And that's a really... Important year in my life because that was the year it all began for Jason Shapiro.
2: You were born then. Yeah. I was thinking, like, thank God that I was alive when this happened. That's all I kept thinking. I'm a little bit older than you. I think we can take that from this. Yeah.
4: I was, I, what I was thinking right away was, okay, so I kind of know TV production schedules from working in TV. This was 1987. Were they shooting this in June? Was this July? Because I just wanted to know if I was alive. I know I was alive August. 24th 1987 when you know full house premiered after that but when were they shooting this
2: let's think about that i mean most shows premiere in september so like it was probably just two months before you were born
4: yeah and that's a hard pill to swallow for me because i kind of wanted this to fit perfectly with the timeline of my life yeah but it's pretty close
2: i i relate to that in the sense that like When I was, I asked my mom what time of day I was born, and I'll always remember it was two twelve. Wow! And the reason why is because like I was like, yes, like I was born in time to watch Punky Brewster. Exactly. Like like, (laughs) I totally, totally understand. I Um, was a,
4: I was a four twenty baby.
2: You were. Yeah. Like born on four twenty.
4: Well, August twenty fourth at around four twenty. It was I don't think exactly four twenty. But it was around four, and my mom's name is Mary Jane, so, so she was
2: cheating. She
4: was cheating. <laughs> no, she would never. She would never. Mary
2: Jane wouldn't cheat in the delivery room. No. Okay. <laughs> but I was be close. Wild. Yeah. Okay, so there's like a complete. We should just say like there's a scene at the beginning where we kind of set up that like these guys have a genuine relationship with the babies. It's like jo- Joey joking around with Michelle. Nothing that happens here is important, except that we see that this is a sleepwalking scene. We're going to catch up to it later. Um, and he believes that Michelle is a dog that needs to go out to go to the bathroom. Um, a hack job, I wrote here, a hack job on everyone's looks. No one has it worse than DJ.
4: Of course, yeah. I th- What really struck me with this beginning is, so they're starting with what should be a seminal point in the show this was kind of like a breaking bad right. style beginning where we start in a different place it was very which breaking bad should be the most seminal scene of the entire movie that we work our way back to but nope it's just some random scene that didn't even happen on the show and i also you talked about the hack job i saw a totally hack job on the set like Why can't we recreate this?
2: The staircase wasn't even going in the right direction. This
4: backward staircase. And
2: we know they can recreate it because we've seen Fuller House. Like is there like a a visual patent on the full house living room?
4: There shouldn't be. I mean, I if there's lawyers out there listening, please tweet at us like, and let us know
2: reach to like reach out because the kitchen also the kitchen on full house was so famous yeah none of the elements were there i was like the fridge is in completely the wrong spot even when they renovated it on the show yeah the fridge stayed in the same it's very crucial that the fridge stays there because it's important for bits
4: totally and i so just looking at the cast and the set the feeling that comes to mind is is being a child in the supermarket or at the mall and grabbing a woman's hand that you think is your mom and then she turns around and it's not your mom. That's what this felt like.
2: Yes. Oh my God. You're exactly right. It did. So, okay. Like, I actually even think I remember Candace Cameron like tweeting when this movie came out that the casting was quote unquote mean. Yeah. Which like was wild because like she was calling a little girl ugly in the process.
4: Not a very christ-like thing to do candace
2: super not christ-like oh god the way they wedge that in here later so we're gonna cut to two years earlier bob saget is doing a set on uh tampons it's all tampon S- so jokes.
4: dirty the filthiest minded human being so filthy. Dave Coulier's ever met
2: he's <laughs> so dirty um and like Dave Coulier's Coulier <laughs> sorry Dave Coulier is drinking backstage um, and Dave decides to get Bob shitfaced after the show. Um, they're celebrating because he just got cast on SNL, which like, can you imagine that is America's sliding door moment? We talk about that a lot here. Like, yeah. do you, I personally think that that could be America's sliding door
4: moment. Yeah. I mean, because
2: Dave Coulier, Dave Coulier
4: didn't do uh, a whole lot after full house. You know, he was always kind of a, a president, Presence in the American and Canadian comedy scene, but a small presence. And who knows? What if he was the next Chris Farley or Will? I honestly
2: am going to say it was between him and Mike Myers, and then we wouldn't have been treated to all of the Austin Powers movies. Love Love, Guru. Guru. I mean, Cat in the Hat. So many things, and I mean, the greatest film of all time. Truly, so I married an axe murderer. So, oh, God, this is good. So, like, they're just, like, talking at the bar. They're like, yeah, Roseanne and Tim Allen getting all these offers. It was great. And then we go to John Stamos. He's working at his dad's diner. It's like a Greek.
4: Johnny Rockets, it looks like. It yeah. looked like a Johnny Rockets Greek knockoff.
2: Exactly. And it was like, you know, he's like, I don't know. Was it supposed he was supposed to be an immigrant? The father?
4: Yeah. He was very much like a, a character from the, like, unauthorized porn parody of Big Fat Creek Wedding, I think.
2: Absolutely. And he's, like, basically, like, he wasn't, though. Like, he had this, like, New York accent, but he kept, was like, he basically was, like, do what you have to do to keep your dreams afloat. Because John Stamos this whole time is, like, burdened by the fact that there's all these hot girls there that want autographs from him because he was on General Hospital. He Soap felt star. like he sold out.
4: Did you think that the dad looked like the real Dave Coulier at all?
2: Oh, Uh, now that you mention it, possibly,
4: I kind of thought for a moment that it was Dave kool and I was like, oh, this is a good Easter egg, but it wasn't. No.
2: Okay. Um, so, oh, this is great. Um, Bob tells his wife, um, that he was asked to come in and do the CBS morning show. Um, and Bob, this actor who plays Bob Saget, our friend Ryan Bailey was up for this role. I think we can say that.
4: He would have been better.
2: It doesn't look like
4: him, but it would have been way better.
2: But like this this guy who played Bob Saget was it was wild. Like the choices were so wild. I would say this was the closest to any of the actual. No. okay. so the guy who played Jesse was good in the last third. Like he started to catch up to to John Stamos. And then I actually thought. The actress who played older Kimmy Gibbler did great with her mannerisms. She was very Andrea Barber, like to a point that I was like, this is chilling, actually.
4: She went like Jared Leto on the Joker, like totally got into (laughs) character.
2: Yes, she did. And then, um, but this Bob Saget is like pretty out of control.
4: Yeah, well, the hair, I think everyone's hair was very good. Yeah. Like, I have to give it to the hair and makeup department. You did a bang up job, but. Every actor's face looked nothing like it, so it took me out of it.
2: Yeah, I know. It was, Bob like was close, everyone though. Everyone just looked a little off. It was like, like a, a video little- game. Exactly. So, um... Okay, Jeff Franklin, our hero, and a couple of producers are pitching to the network. He's pitching a show called House of Comics, which is, I know from Jodi Sweeten's book, a true story. Um, It's about three comics living together, trying to make it. Um, The network head is, like, into it at first. But then she's like, well, the Cosby show is so big right now. Uh, We really want a family story. And then Jeff is like, well it is a family show and basically he like does the fake out pitch thing and sells full house just by saying like
3: uh which this show has because the, the comic the main comic is actually a single dad oh
1: i like that
3: yeah of, of course he's um completely lost oh, that's completely relatable <laughs> exactly and, and he somehow gets by with the help of his two best friends Okay, so like three men and a baby. Yeah, but we're more like three men and three babies because the dad has three daughters, all different ages. That really sets it
2: apart. Okay. Tell me more about the kids. Uh, Do you know anything about the legend of Jeff Franklin? Because, like, I really don't.
4: I don't at all. Um, I know from this movie that he went on to do hanging with Mr. Cooper, yeah. but I know nothing about Jeff Franklin. The most I knew about the the behind-the-scenes Full House leading up to this was just from the E! True Hollywood story of of the Olsen twins, so I just knew their manager who had really bad hair plugs.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's very famous to me as well. Um, But I'm really thinking that, okay, there was um, this super dark blind item, And I talked about it with some friends and we could really only bring it back to Full House. And it was about a young teenage star of a show, potentially my sister, getting pregnant in her early teens, like 13 years old, and the producer of the show taking her to get an abortion.
4: This was not in the film. This was this not, in the, this is, not this, in the this film. This is news to
2: me and not in the like, film. This is me theorizing on a blind item. Can you imagine based on this movie? I can't imagine it.
4: No, I think just based on what I know of Franklin from the movie, he was a smooth talker and he really looked out for the girls. And yes. so I could see that happening in a not creepy um, kind of paternal manner but that's still i mean sh- sent shivers down my spine thinking of that
2: yeah i know it's really dark and but at the same time like i don't know
4: i have to ask you about this pitch though so um i know i know you've been in a pitch mm-hmm. I've, I've been in a pitch before have you ever seen something so false to reality than how that pitch went down
2: I mean, I don't know if it's false for a guy that sold shows before.
4: And maybe in the the early, or in the 80s. But it just seemed like, like, the way... I think the way the guys were, like, winking at each other during the pitch. Like, get a load of this broad. She doesn't know what we're doing right now.
2: I mean, the most unrealistic part is that the woman would be the one buying in the room.
4: I suppose. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) No, No, I mean, no. But those, I guess that's what tv was in its glory days like you yeah. could just go in and like pull something out of your ass and oh my god you invented friends like that's i like-
4: suppose different time and i don't know it that might have just been a a scene from a bygone area that we just can't even understand but I, they they were, like, nudging each other the whole time, like, what's happening?
2: You know when older people tell you, like, you wouldn't believe what it was like back in the day. Like, yeah. the only business or world I believe that stuff in is in television. Because yeah. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, you can be on a hit show and you get a hooded sweatshirt for Christmas. Like not a fleet of Mercedes. Like, yeah. that's what it used to be back in the day.
4: The Coke days, and I didn't see any Coke in this in this movie.
2: No Coke. Um. So, okay, Bob is doing his job at the morning show. He's not doing great. He, like, doesn't wear his earpiece. He's doing bits. The bit is, like, very weak.
0: Speaking of the Grammys, why don't you and I rip out Billie Jean? You take the high part? I've got the melody. Ready? Come on, let's do it. Well, Bob, maybe we can work something up during the next
1: break coming up here.
0: Hey, why don't we just be spontaneous? Why don't we push the envelope? Let's take it. I want to be your video coffee. It's the morning show, after all. That's what we're here for, right? We'll be right back with our special
1: guest, the Golden Girls, Lou McClanahan.
2: And we're out. I mean, if Bob Saget ever did this, he's just a dumbo. Yeah. Which I don't. I which I don't believe.
1: No,
4: I think Bob, based on what um, Dave Coulier said, I think Bob was one of the filthiest minded human beings on the planet at that point. And I don't think he's doing lame Billie Jean bits.
2: No, I don't think so either. So when then we find out right after this that Bob's wife is at the hospital. She, the baby that she is having was delivered via C-section. Then Bob's sister, Gay, comes to the hospital. And Bob makes um, some lewd remarks about his uh, sleeping just out of a C-section wife, uh, wife's tits. What do you think?
4: I thought it really just kind of brought around the... The notion that this guy will say anything at any time. You think that it's going to be a sweet moment, like, say, foreshadowing a funeral, but Bob's just going to be Bob. Bob's going to say some shit that the rest of us, you know, would be like, no, you can't say that. But that's what makes Bob (laughs) such a filthy mind.
2: And Gay really, like, pointed that out. She's like, it's just like you to be making jokes when you're nervous. Like. Now we really, she brought some uh, gravitas, I would say. Yeah. The scene. And the I drawer.
4: think this, I have to give a little <laughs> bravo to the screenwriters for really setting up the true conflict of this movie Bob saying inappropriate things around the kids.
2: Oh, absolutely. But the payoff was, like, not nearly as delicious as I thought it would be. Because the actual real story, which we will tell, is wild. Okay. So, um... Oh, oh, okay. Jeff Franklin goes to the auditions for all the kids. um, And this is actually... uh, like quite a fame oh not not this one this is where candace cameron is auditioning she's auditioning for the part of dj and she's completely bombing and it's brutal
4: yeah real quick before though your sister was cast first obviously
2: yeah jody Sweetin. we find out her deal closed first she was the first one offered the role she had actually been on a show called um it had been retitled but it was uh, the spinoff uh, called Valerie from One Day at a Time hmm. and uh, she was like killing it and uh, yeah she basically was the first one cast and which is interesting when you think about the fact that it's like Jeff Franklin maybe was like writing on the show at the time like maybe yeah. that was like his job when he was a story editor or something Yeah, and he remembered young Jodie Sweetin after his bullshit pitch and was like she's the one because, like, I I mean, the fact that, like, it started with Stephanie Judith Tanner, that can't be what it was. They must have said, go back to the drawing board.
4: Well, I think that would have been a pretty interesting show. Just uh, what are the antics Stephanie's going to get up to next? How's she going to dance her way out of this one?
2: I mean, I wonder. So, anyway, um, okay. Um, uh, Candace
4: Cameron was bombing.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was completely bombing. And I just wrote this actress is super unfortunate looking. It, it really, it just, it's. It's sad. And like I looked it up, this actress, this is her one and only role. Like she was yeah. plucked from obscurity to do this and then just put back wherever she came from.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's hard because it's it's um, life in imitating art. You know, Candace had a lot of people talking about her looks. And when this young actress stepped into that role, maybe she got a little too into the role and... I don't know. I just But hope- what
2: could anyone have ever really said about Candace Cameron? She was beautiful. She
4: was. I just think she's a little bit of a, a try-too-hard, okay, um overachiever type that is always just was kind of a turnoff to me, not in any like, you know, looks-wise or anything. It was just kind of like, I can hang all day with everyone else, DJ. I don't know if we could hang that much.
2: You're not really there to hang. No. Okay. So, well, basically, Candace, in a brutal moment, like overhears the casting director tell Jeff Franklin that she had high hopes for Candace, but she was just okay. Um, and she comes back in. Oh, oh. And this is where we see that they have been able to cast Danny. The only person who is cast for sure is Jody. Uh, Her deal closed first. Paul Reiser passed. He took a show called My Two Dads. And the casting director says that Bob's not available. Bob was actually the warm-up guy on Bosom Buddies. Interesting to know. I did not know that. Yeah, interesting to know. And that's where Jeff Franklin saw him, which I was like, hey, warm-up guys out there. You never know what's coming your way.
4: Well, it's interesting now because I feel like we are in a time where the warm-up guys that are doing it now have been doing it for 20, yes. 25 years. Yes. And so they're not looking for their big break anymore necessarily. This is their break. They the make so guy much money. They make
2: more on most shows than anyone else because of like when you consider average of hours worked versus what you get paid, they make almost more than anyone else on the entire show. Yeah. Um Okay, so then Candace comes back to audition for DJ and she kills the part. Um, we see that Dave Coulier gets the call as his manager. And, like, whenever Dave Coulier answers the phone in this movie, he's doing a bit. Like, this time he goes...
1: White House, Reagan's speaking. Hey, would you stop doing that? Oh, sorry, man, I can't help myself. What's up? Remember that pilot audition last week? whole House? Yeah, the one that every stand-up comic in the Western Hemisphere went for? And guess which one they liked the most. Seriously? You, my friend, landed it. They loved you. Yes! woo
2: Yes! Yeah, yeah. They've come, to come back to the phone day. He is the, he's Joey, we find out. And then Jeff Franklin takes a meeting with John Stamos at the dad's Greek diner. He tells him, oh, so John Stamos is like, I see a lot of myself in Uncle Adam. And then he's like, but I want to pitch you this idea. Did you know Elvis had a twin brother named Jesse? Died at birth. Anyway. uh,
4: (laughs) I couldn't believe that.
2: Really weird. And he goes, so I'm thinking that's who it is. Um, And it's like, you think you're the dead brother of Elvis? Like, what? Um, And Jeff Franklin is like, love that idea.
4: Yeah, this part was actually really exciting for me because he talked about how he gets to play with the Beach Boys sometimes. And you know how I mentioned like Full House kind of blurred with real life a little bit for me in a confusing way when I was older or younger. The first concert I ever saw in my life was the Beach Boys and John Stamos was on drums. Yeah. And I was about four years old. It was at the Minnesota State Fair. And I was just – I was so confused the whole time because I was hearing Kokomo. I was hearing all these songs that were near and dear to my heart. And I was seeing Uncle Jesse live in the flesh. Right. And my parents were like, no, that's John Stamos. And I was like, that's Uncle Jesse. And it it was a great concert experience, but pretty confusing.
2: Yeah, I can only imagine what that was like. Um, Okay, so wait... Um Jeff Franklin spots the Olsen Twins. This is the famous scene. This is the one that we hear about all the time. Whenever someone's doing any sort of retrospective on the Olsen Twins, this is one of the first things that's mentioned. Was that they weren't there for the audition. They were there with their friends. And When Jeff, does that happen? Literally never. And this is the darkest thing is that oh god. So they notice he notices that they're really cute and well behaved and he's like, "Oh uh, what's their name again? Mary-Kate, Ashley." They land the whole thing. So so, someone said later in the movie, like, these are the luckiest girls. There's lots of, like, foreshadowing to, like, what they're going to be.
4: Yeah. And it was strange, though. So, I get on a production level why they aged the babies up for this movie. Yeah. But it was can I swear on this podcast? Uh, yeah. It was complete bullshit. Yeah. They said hi to him. They could not speak then. The girls were not even five months old.
2: Oh, really? Yeah.
4: They're they're May babies. This must have been... Oh, this must have been... No, actually, I'm sorry. I think they're probably January babies. Like, they're 86. All right. They're 86. They were not even a year old when this happened. No, And so I'm just screaming false at the TV right away
2: and also like the actresses they had in the very last scene to play michelle like they had their period already for sure yeah like they were like 13
4: talk about zero charisma
2: no zero charisma while the olsen twins themselves had so much charisma
4: yeah they used it all up yeah because now i mean they're moguls i think the world of them but i wouldn't necessarily say charisma at this point
2: no not so much Bob gets fired from the morning show. His bits aren't landing. His wife makes him promise that he's going to try out for full house, but we find out that they've already cast an actor named John Posey. Bob is formally rejected. Um, then we see Jeff Franklin watching the pilot in his office. It's very underwhelming. Like, the bit is the thing where, like, Joey's boiling. No. Jesse is boiling eggs in vinegar, and he was supposed to boil them in water and then dip them in vinegar. Everyone what is he trying that. to do, pickling eggs?
4: No, it's like um, you put them in the vinegar to make them um, the shells crack easier.
3: Oh. But
4: anyone with two brains knows that you just got to cook them at the right temperature, and the uh, shells will just come out. So I think this was just manufactured for this bullshit movie
2: i didn't understand the whole thing thank you for explaining that to me i would have spent the rest of my life kind of jamming on that um but he's not he's not killing the bit so um jeff is like "Ooh, the net uh one of the producer guys comes in he's like they decided to pick up the show it's getting made and he's like "Mm, i think we should hire bob saget and he's like are you seriously gonna like change up your show the second the networks picks it up he's like Danny Tanner is Bob Saget, which is like so interesting.
4: Yeah, can I take like a two second tangent? Yeah. So let's imagine a world where Posey gets the role. Oh. Posey gets the role. The show is canceled after one season.
2: Absolutely. The
4: Olsen twins fade into obscurity. They don't marry the French president or whatever. Stamos probably never gets a shot again. Coulier falls off the map. That's fine. Alanis Morissette does not record that album. True. And Jody Sweeten lives a great life. She's happily, you know, back to where she is now, but she wouldn't have gone through any of those troubles. Candace Cameron probably wouldn't have married the hockey player. And I think... Oh, no, she wouldn't have. Honestly, most importantly, I think we would have never gotten America's Funniest Home Videos, and we never would have gotten YouTube after that. And so we would be living in a totally different world where the internet probably didn't take off in the way that it did. And honestly, Obama might not even be our president at the moment.
2: I think that's it. I honestly, I think that that was America's sliding door moment. That for sure was, that is wild.
4: Thank God Posey did not get that role.
2: You figured this out. Okay. So he is like, he's just not doing good. Um, and they bring in Bob Saget and Oh, okay, this is a weird scene. So Bob and Dave are, like, fucking with John, and, like, right away, Bob and Dave are, like, up to their old antics because we have to remember that Dave Coulier slept on Bob Saget's couch when he first moved here from Canada to, like, I don't know, get his shit together or whatever. And, like, by the way, like... For someone who, like two years earlier, had moved here from Canada and was sleeping on someone's couch, his apartment was kind of nice. Yeah, totally. The backsplash in it was really charming.
4: Yeah. And, you know, I think um, this was a, a, an interesting scene because of, you know, they were doing the kind of, um, they were pretending that it, they were making the storylines uh, that they
0: were all gay.
2: Yeah, and three guys, they live in San Francisco.
0: Can never have too many poop jokes, right? And the whole gay triangle story revolutionary okay they're not gay come on three guys living together in san francisco raising little girls one
1: big happy family that's why i signed on it's really progressive stuff norman lear would be proud has jeff talked about which one of us comes out of the closet first it's got to be uncle jesse i mean he's so cute who could stay away from that
0: seriously if i swung that way i would peel you like a soft
4: shell crab. i've never ever heard that pickup line
2: never heard that and then John Stamos is like, my agent never cleared that particular storyline with me, which like I took to mean that John Stamos is vaguely homophobic.
4: Yeah, that's how it came off. It seemed like Saget was being very progressive, like, yeah, we're doing this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm thinking this is 1986, like, good on them for... Being a little progressive minded, but Stamos was one of those guys who was like, whoa, 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 that's not me.
2: I did not sign up for this. Yeah. Um, so after the table read, Bob pitches uh, some ideas to Dave and he's basically like, Maybe Danny can like be more of a neat freak. Maybe we can get some love interests in here. I love that they're giving Bob Saga credit for this um we find out after um the girls are talking at the table read they're saying this is both their first like big roles jody's like this is my first series not true yeah which is like weird a weird lie to tell about jody a little bit of revisionist history then we find out bob is upset he's uh the reviews for the show are terrible and particularly him people are like oh he came from this lame morning show when he managed to find something even lamer um, Bob is basically terrorizing his wife and sister over the reviews of this show. Like, I don't know what he expected from them, but it made me... It, like, reconfirmed to me that, like, you just don't... You don't want to date an actor. Yeah. Why would you date an actor? That seems terrible. Like, here they are in this home that he's able to pay for because he's on a television show, and they have a child, and it's a beautiful Sunday. It's his day off, and he wants to complain about the reviews for Full House.
4: Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and that's also why... Everyone says, but everyone doesn't. Just don't read the reviews. <laughs> um, I, I actually, oh, I in my notes, do we I think see... he's
2: like a little bit of like a, an egomaniac.
4: A little bit. Are yeah. we supposed
2: to take that from this?
4: From this, yeah. I just he just wanted to do his dirty routine, and that's what the whole movie's about. It's like, dude, get rid of your dirty routine for a little bit. Yeah, I, you can. You can. You can do that later on Entourage and whatever. Are
2: you like a mental deviant?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had one question for you that I wrote down. Okay. So the two guys that are overseeing Jeff Franklin the whole time, yeah. their names are Tom and Bob. Okay. Do you know who those people were? No. I had no idea who they were. They were just two like soundboards for like, yeah, we've been through this before, Jeff. And it's like, when? Tell me. Were you on Bonanza? What?
2: I Exactly. Like, I feel like they were just like executive one and two. Yeah. Like the people that kind of coax you through the notes sessions and like you never see from them again. Maybe they were like manager production companies sort of or thing. Or
4: Miller Boyette. Do we know anything about remember at the end of the credits yeah. they would always say Miller Boyette Productions?
2: Maybe Do you think it was maybe Bob
4: Miller and Tom Boyette or something? I don't know. I don't even know if those are names, but we'll see.
2: Possibly. We can find out right now. Hold on. Thomas Miller and Edward Milkus.
4: Mm. Okay, but Robert we got a Tom.
2: Bill, uh, Robert Boyette oh good, and then Gary Marshall
4: he, he, Gary Marshall had a hand in full house
2: he, well, he was part of oh, the Potter Miller Boyette. Boyette. yeah, that wow. was he was part of that world okay,
4: so they've seen a lot yeah i tr- i I just thought we could have gotten a little more of an introduction who this Tom and Bob were,
2: yeah, especially if they were like business partners with Gary Marshall, yeah, you know, anyway, um continuing on. So this is where we go. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Um, So Saget decides, like, he needs to bond with the guys and he decides to take them to Vegas because someone says, like, his sister Gay, like, healer of all things, is like, you know, you might as well get used to it. So he's like, I'm going to take these guys to Vegas and make them my homies. He and Dave are already there. And basically, like, all I get from this is that John Stamos was, like, socially dysfunctional with these (laughs) two guys. Um, And also we have to remember, like... He kind of was like maybe 25.
4: Yeah, he was really young. Like, yeah, 25 probably. And he had women because there. this was a time where there wasn't a lot of TV, obviously. And so, so many women were watching Days of Our Lives or he was – it was General Hospital. Yeah. So many women were watching that every day and he was, in all sense of the words, a heartthrob.
2: And so uh, John's getting stared down at the Vegas casino. They're all having a lot of fun. They're doing tequila shots at the bar. He's getting stared down by these three women. We find out that Bob's superhero power is monogamy.
1: Yeah. That's what Dave says.
2: He says that he has never known him to cheat all of the other guys in the comedy scene. Cheaters. Bob is not a cheater. Um, And Bob says that he's been with his wife since they were teenagers, which I think is really interesting.
4: Yeah. It was a nice touch. It was a little like – we were like applauding Bob Saget for this the whole movie. Like it's this crazy, crazy thing. And I know in show business, yes, it is crazy. But Sure. I, I honestly just felt like it was a little bit of a weird thing that was throughout the movie because, um, yeah, like what?
2: I mean, everything this is an else is unauthorized got-
4: stories, so we would all believe – maybe that was the unauthorized part is that, oh, we're going to make you think he was this crazy deviant, but really he's just this homemaker guy um, who's been faithful to one woman. And so, I don't know, part of it's great. Part of it's like, okay, do you want a medal?
2: I mean, I think it was a little bit like trying to set up that juxtaposition of like, he tells tampon jokes, but also he's faithful to his wife. Those
4: tampon jokes. (laughs)
2: Those tampon (laughs) jokes would make you think he's a real perv. Um, So, uh, John is complaining that, okay, this is where we cut back to the scene at the very beginning where Joey is walking out of the house with, uh, the Michelle pretending she's a dog yeah, because she's sleepwalking. We're Absolutely. back to our Breaking
4: Bad moment. Exactly. <laughs> Walt is being. Face down by the police,
2: <laughs> and um, we find out that the reason why the scene ended was because um, Michelle shit herself or something. And John's like, "Hey, if these kids aren't potty trained, like, how the fuck are we supposed to film scenes? Because like, basically, they ha- they're trying to figure out how to work with babies. Yeah, it's an important to know. Um, and so Bob says he hates Danny. At one point, he hates being this character. There's no art in this for him. The guys basically." make him commit to trying. They went through all that trouble in Vegas to become friends, and now they're going to, like, make this work. They all need this gig, and uh, if Saget doesn't commit, the whole thing will fall apart. So... Uh, They decide to pick up the show for a second season, and they're rerunning it twice a week over the summer to make sure that people see it. Season two has some big changes. Uncle Jesse gets a girlfriend. We find out it's Lori Lachlan. She and John had gone out on a few dates in the past, and there's chemistry right away. But she's married now. Yeah. It's a very interesting scene. Now, I think that the actress who played Becky was very Becky-like.
4: Yeah. Not totally. as pretty.
2: Well, she was as pretty, but in a different way.
4: Different look, yeah. I mean, you could definitely see. I, I liked how she was kind of, she kind of seemed like the mediator with everyone. Like she would take the girls under her wing and she was kind of smoothing things over with everyone else. And I would think that that would be the Lori Laughlin role.
2: Absolutely. On the show, and I liked that. So, Candace Cameron's mom tells Journey. Uh, Journey is uh, the mother of Mary and Ashley Olson and David Olson that they should hire a lawyer because the twins have something special because the twins are just like kind of crushing their scenes. Um, this is when they start to play Wang Chong. Like, Everybody went junk tonight, yeah, and that's their curtain call song, which is interesting. They go into a little bit of a montage. We see that Bob Sagitt has a ton of fan mail now. Uh, Coolie has a Mercedes, John Stamos is more famous than ever. Bob Sagitt buys a gorgeous new home. It's the start of season three. Andrea Barber bursts into tutoring and announces that she's been made a series regular. Um, and like. The tutors seem just as annoyed with Andrea Barber as they did with Kimmy Gibbler throughout the entire series, which makes yep. me feel bad.
4: Yeah, I hope Andrea Barber didn't get that because she she seems like a lovely person.
2: She seems lovely, but like also like she was never you know, the prettiest. She definitely was not one of the stars. Like she was her like character wasn't... that didn't
4: quite take off.
2: Exactly. And yeah. like, when you look back on the show itself, the way that those three grown men spoke to like a 10 year old. Yeah. Like, the fact that she didn't commit suicide is wild. Yeah. Like, she, they were so verbally abusive to her.
4: Yeah, they would hug every single person, everyone, but they would never give her a hug because she had smelly feet. Yeah. I mean, talk to her parents. Have her go to a specialist. If her feet are that smelly as a little girl, <laughs> I, there's a fungal issue.
2: Absolutely. They were so cold toward her. Yeah. And, like, I feel like we met Kimmy's parent, one of Kimmy's parents in an episode. Like, a freak accident. But they did that sitcom thing of, like, having, like, Kimmy with no life. Like, Urkel had no life at home.
4: No, totally. And, um, wait, I just wanted to ask, did we go over the line? I think the line, the most fucked up line in the whole movie was in the montage, maybe, where... Danny was talking about um, having more kids, and he said,
0: For starters, our kids aren't watching stupid family sitcoms. They're going to be too busy making stupid family sitcoms. <laughs> what? We crank out a litter of tiny thespians, human line delivering systems, each with his or her own weekly paycheck. they're crazy. And let's not forget diversity. Any chance we could have Latino offspring at some point? All right, are we commenting
4: on this, or are we making a joke? Cause I can't tell with this movie.
2: I couldn't tell either. I it really it really freaked me out because I was like, this whole thing kind of takes the wind out of like him loving his TV family. Yeah, because exactly. he's at home low key making fun of them and their family. I mean, but Jarny is like, I can't handle Jarny. Like, I can't handle her. I feel like Mary-Kate Nashley's mom was portrayed as, like, a complete bimbo, as well as Candace Cameron's mom. She definitely had, like, the elder statesman vibe of the two of them, but, like, Jarny was treated like a straight-up bumpkin. Like, I was like, did she have these children at 17? Like, what is going on? And
4: what was strange is they set up the whole movie almost like, yeah, like you said, they treated her like a bimbo, and they made it seem like... The girls were on the wrong path to like get everyone screwed out of all this money. But yeah, y- when you look at it, obviously the most successful and well-off people from this entire show are the Olsen twins. Yes. So it just was a weird – it was a weird setup that – Actually, the opposite paid off.
2: Yeah, there were so many things throughout this m- film that were, like, non-committal. Yeah. That really bummed me out. Where I was just like, dude, you need to, like, if you're going to go there, go there. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if they thought it would throw the rest of it apart. And they decided to really make this about the three guys' journeys. Mm-hmm. And that's really what this film was, which is rare for a Lifetime movie because typically it's more heavily focused on the female leads. Yeah. Um, and that part of it is really played up and there were so many issues in this actual story with like the actual behind the scenes of Full House that were woman oriented and they – the fact that they didn't focus on them was like a – I think like a weird choice.
4: Yeah, I kind of assumed – so I was thinking about this today and I was like, so we got the 90210 unauthorized story. We got the Saved by the Bell unauthorized story. Yeah. And that all dealt with teenagers where there was some, like, really juicy, steamy details that have come out about this. And some of the same can be said for Full House. But I wonder if they decided to do the Full House Unauthorized Story and then got into the room and were like, wait, we actually can't do this because we're going to be dealing with actors between the ages of 2 and 12. Yeah. Maybe we just can't cover a lot of this stuff. Unless we age everyone up, which would just be ridiculous.
2: I mean, I think that also the the lingering threat of Dual Star stepping in at all could have yeah. been ter- like terrifying for them. Yeah, because exactly. if any, like you know, like Saget, Coulier, Stamos, like they're so famous that they don't need to sue yeah. someone for like libel or for anything like that. But they, the girls, actually are in the position where they're not famous enough or in the spotlight anymore that they probably could try to sue for something like that. Yeah, this. and
4: have also have like a billion dollar multimedia, you know, clothing you know, they have a
2: Right, empire. or even that. Like yeah. even more like Jody or Candace, like or Andrea Barber. Like they could throw some money at a lawyer and, and try to get a payout of this. Yeah. I mean what are the what's the legality on this? Because I un- think just libel. Yeah. Lawyers I mean, like, tweet in Yeah, I don't know. Like, I a libel, I think, just refers to slander, I guess. I don't know. I think it would be slander. But I don't even know if you can do that if you say, like, this is a fictionalization of real-life events. Like, I don't know what right you have to your own personhood at that point. Yeah. Um, But the real names were used. So, anyway... um, Bob Saget is sitting. Oh, this is where we find out Michelle Tanner. There's something called the TVQs or something back then, which was like the Nielsen ratings, but for how successful a star was. They probably yeah. still have them, and it says that we. Um, but
4: the, yeah, this was the Urkel era. This is when like one person Alf. One person yes. is the draw to a show.
2: Absolutely. And we find out that Michelle Tanner is one of the most recognizable TV stars in the country, just slightly below Michael Jackson. Um, and their parents have lawyered up and they're looking to double the money for each of them. The guys at this point decide to go to the producers and see if they can fight for more scenes with Michelle. Very interesting, probably very real. Yeah. Um, Bob's- be
4: played for comedy, though, which I liked. Yes.
0: <laughs> Am I being fired? Because if you're thinking of killing off Danny Tanner, I've got the perfect way. He gets a lethal case of VD from a seven-foot hooker he picks up after getting strung out on heroin. Maybe you should talk first.
1: We love you, Bob. In fact, we brought you here because we want to offer you another show.
0: Is it late night? Because that'd be perfect. Something edgier where I had the
3: freedom to do... It's called
1: America's Funniest
3: Home
0: Videos.
1: Hysterical little home movies of people falling down and all sorts of silly stuff. We think families are going to love it.
0: That sounds even more sophomoric than full house. (laughs) Just kidding. That's not possible, is it?
1: (laughs) You see,
3: that's exactly why we thought of you. You are everybody's favorite funny TV dad.
0: You say that like it's a good thing.
1: (laughs) You see what I mean? Every time it kills me. (laughs) You're
0: not going to believe the day I had today.
1: If it
3: didn't include diarrhea and projectile vomiting, then it was better than mine.
0: Oh, man, all the good stuff happens when I'm gone.
3: Oh, well, the day is still young. Your time may come yet.
0: I got called into the network office.
3: Oh, no, again?
0: No, I wasn't being fired. Shocking, huh?
3: Well, what did they want?
0: To offer me another show, a hosting gig.
3: Really? That's great. I think.
0: It would mean a lot more work.
3: But is that what you want to do? We've seen so little as it is.
0: I know. No. And you're right, but the whole ride home, I just kept thinking about all those years spent pounding the pavement just trying to get a break. Who knows if we'll ever have another opportunity like this.
3: Sounds like you already made up your mind.
0: You don't think I should strike while the iron's hot?
3: I just want to make sure you're doing this because you want to do it, not
0: because you think you have to. Well, maybe a little bit of both. This new show, it's called America's Funniest Home Videos, and I would get to write on it as well as host, do my own comedy bits with my own sensibility. On network television? Uh, maybe not my sensibility. <laughs> yeah. But a lot closer than I've
2: been getting. I don't know if I ever really... I think that because I was the target audience for this, I don't know if I really put together... I know that Bob was doing the, like, little voices, like, on the kitten before it fell into, like, a bucket yeah. of sand. But, like, it, I I just never really put together that that was his incentive for doing something like this. Yeah,
4: his putting his own sensibility in, which, like, obviously he couldn't do that, so... It's just so weird. This is another non payoff of like this the in the whole struggle of this movie was that Bob Saget was not able to fully live out his comedic sensibility on television, which is just like, boo fucking who?
2: Yes, <laughs> but no. Like it's interesting to even think of Bob Saget being like that. Like you think like that is the that is like the alt comedy attitude of some like little, like, prick that doesn't get it. Who's
4: 23 years old.
2: Yeah, Yeah. like, something like that. Like, I don't, I literally, like, did not understand. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is going on? That Bob Saget, a father of three at this point, almost? It's just, like, truly wild. So, um, Bob's wife goes for it. She's like, sure, you know, it's more time away from the family, whatever. Jesse and the Rippers are tossing out some jams. They're playing Celebrate. Uh, parentheses so good, good times cool One in the gang songs. I believe uh the girls are all dancing while they play
4: Stephanie gets a little dance moment which is cool you can kind of see the she's
2: doing yeah because like Stephanie workings. Tanner is dancing God Stephanie my sister Jody was so ripped off in this film like she yeah. literally was it hurt me as a family member to see that but like I don't know it's just like she was Like, slight nods to, like, maybe the greatness that was Stephanie Tanner's dancing on this series.
4: And they said it once in the film, but, like, her taglines, I feel like, rivaled Michelle's. Like, how rude was one of the best... Best catchphrases in all TV history. I
2: would say, how rude is bigger than you got it, dude.
4: Yeah, I think so, too. Oh,
2: my lanta. That's the worst one. Oh, my lanta doesn't... Barely clocks. No, I didn't
4: even remember that that was a catchphrase of DJs until I rewatched, like, again, a couple years ago.
2: Yeah, oh, my lanta, for sure. Um, Okay, so... Yeah, this is kind of setting up that, like, Jesse and the Rippers would just, like, jam and practice. I think they actually played for the live audience. Can you even imagine, like, how dark that would get? Like, he just, like, would probably love the attention from the studio audience. Like, I can't even imagine. I would
4: have loved it. I mean, I'm, I'm trying really hard to go to a Fuller house taping coming up and I, <gasps> I would just i have Wait. no leads i have no leads
2: oh i'll try to get in okay good do you want Thank me to you. i'll email i'll email someone like literally tomorrow yeah let's go uh, yeah if i can okay. go i will totally do that with you Thank and i will you. sit there for like nine hours like a goddamn <laughs> freak just remind me to wear a hoodie because those things are always cold
4: well we'll go we'll go and we'll leave early
2: okay that yeah. sounds good okay so um It's, oh, Dave is, like, by the way, Dave is not jaded anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, we find out that, like, this was always kind of Bob's deal. Like, Dave is into it. He goes, at one point, I don't know what's better, the money or the fame. (laughs) Like, he just, like, is loving this life.
4: As, like, celebrate good times, come on. As that's happening. It's, like, 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 he's driving, like, a Mercedes and top down, waving to people.
2: Lori Loughlin's playing the um, crescent-shaped tambo and then we have dj and staff on the bongos yeah and like and they kind of like i noticed that the actors who played young candace like this is i think our last scene with her yeah um she really kind of killed it on the bongos
4: yeah she was good she
2: knew all the lyrics to the song
4: yeah and she was in rhythm and everyone was having a good time and like i think in any other movie any other traditional sh- even like like Regular storytelling. This would be right before the other shoe drops. Yeah. And the other shoe never...
2: No, it never, never dropped. dropped. It was, In fact, it just picks up from here. So we find out that it's 1990 now. Full House is anchoring TGIF, which is a new lineup. We see a hilarious thing. It's like the mom and like 12 teenagers leaning around the couch. It's a wild shot. <laughs> if you watch this movie for nothing else, it is to see how they depicted a mom and 12 of their d- child's friends sitting around watching television. It's wild. It's like the Burger King Kids Club. Like one of every type is represented. and then, it sh- <laughs> But they're all just like passing around this pod. There's like a little popcorn flying in the air. It's amazing. So um, we see that John sees the other guy Settling down, um,
4: a little jealous, maybe
2: Dave is like just basically like proposed this girl named Jane. I think Jane was like a, a Playboy playmate, is that wow. right?
4: I had no idea.
2: Yeah, she's a model, I think. And like, let me find out. So, this
4: was before Alanis.
2: Oh, no, I think that no, I think Alanis was pre full house. Even. Oh, gotcha. Like she was very early on, and when I I almost didn't stop you when when you said that like that, um, Alanis's jolly little pill would have never happened because
4: it was before.
2: I think I think that she would be hesitant uh, to write an album about someone that wasn't a success. I think that his success really broke her down. Um, so Jane Modine is her name. She's an American model and actress who got her break as a fashion model in the late 1970s, appearing on four 17 covers in 1977. Oh, they made that joke. Yes, In one year, she was on 17.
4: Yeah. And they were like, wait, is she 17? And he's like, no guys, she's 24.
2: Absolutely. Okay. So she appeared in several feature films, including Spring Break, House 2, The Second Story, a number TV, a number of TV shows, including Cheers, Full House, Trauma Center, and The Fall Guy. Um, I wonder who she was on Full House.
4: Um, I think she actually played one of his girlfriends for a couple episodes.
2: Like he dated like a babe? Yeah,
4: because I remember he had a few like babe-centric episodes where – um, he was going out on dates and uh, I wish I could remember. It was like something about her not knowing he was a comedian or something like that.
2: Yeah. Now Dave is now married to someone called Melissa Bring. They got oh, married Melissa in 2004. Bring? Wait, yeah. he's
4: married to Melissa Bring?
2: Yeah, who's Melissa Bring?
4: I have no idea.
2: Oh shit. You're <laughs> fucking wild, dude. You fucking had me going. Uh, let's find out. Um, this is from Us Weekly. There's a witness to the nuptials. Oh, there to witness the nuptials as fellow... Oh, wait. What is going on? Sorry. This cut out with an ad. What does she do? She's a photographer slash producer, Melissa Brang. Okay. They got married in Paradise Valley, Montana. And they're still together. Yeah. Good for them. Awesome. John Stamos is carrying around a piece of uh, wood at the wedding. Interesting. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Wait, I think...
4: So, we obviously never saw Mr. Woodchuck in the movie, but I think there was, like, one scene or a shot where he was holding this weird puppet.
2: Yeah, it looked like Comet the dog. It was, like, almost like a golden retriever puppet. Yeah. And, like, I noticed there was no Comet in yeah. the story. They probably couldn't afford an animal. Yeah. Um, and then, two, um, no Mr. Woodchuck. And Mr. Woodchuck was, like, basically, like, a golden retriever puppet.
4: Yeah. It I was strange. It was... Yeah, I don't know. The props department... Can't give him props.
2: I would say almost the main thing in this movie that was accurate to the real thing was Jesse's vest and red T-shirt combo. Yes. And it's the like,
4: hair. His hair was very good throughout.
2: Wigs and weaves is like one of our categories in our ranking at the end of this. And I think that it's very important for this movie that we do. We spend some extra time considering because there yeah. was so many like. All of the hair was recreated to a T, more than almost mm-hmm. anything else. Yeah. Um, so here we are now. Candace is freaking out on set. She's looking for Lori. She's looking for Lori everywhere. She has to kiss Kevin, who I believe is the name of the actor who played. Uh, Andrew Keegan. Andrew Keegan. Yeah. Yes, it was played by Andrew Keegan, and um, she yeah. has to kiss. Or him. maybe
4: that was St- that might have been Stephanie. I might be getting them mixed up. I think he was a love interest for Stephanie actually. Andrew
2: Oh, you, you know what? You're right. But I don't remember
4: Kevin that well.
2: So Kevin is maybe the actor who played someone. I don't yeah. know who, but everyone knows Steve's name is Scott what? Scott
4: Weinger. He's, so, he's a you, great comedy writer.
2: A good friend of yours?
4: No, I wish we were better friends. Um, but I had the pleasure of working with his awesome wife, Rena Mamoon. And Scott's like written for blackish, Gallivant. He's he's awesome.
2: I love that. You brought me a signed photo and I and I can't thank you enough. Like what that means to me, just like someone who spent time with my sister, like it means a lot to me and I really thank you for that.
4: Yeah, I have three more from Rena and Scott and They're very cool people, so I think they came out the best of
2: everyone on Full House. I think so, for sure. Absolutely. Um, So then we see, um, oh, so Candace is freaking out because she has to kiss this guy named Kevin. And then John and Lori decide they're going to teach her how to kiss. And they do it by kissing each other. And there's Mm. some steam there. There's some hot, hot heat.
4: So how old was Candace Cameron at the time, do you
2: think, of this? So I believe she was 13, and this is a true story, because I've heard her talk about it several times, that Lori taught her how to kiss. The reality is that John wasn't there with her. It was just her explaining to her, like, close your eyes and lean in.
4: Good. That makes sense, because I'm just trying to picture a 14-year-old girl standing in front of... These uh, people in their late 20s, early 30s, where like the, the the sexual chemistry between them is wild. Smoldering. They're like pulling each other towards each other. And they're just like, yeah, let's teach this 14-year-old girl how to kiss. I mean, that's what gets people arrested.
2: And Lori was married during all of this. Yeah. So um, Bob Saget's sister comes to set, gay. She comes to set and she's like, I'm dying of a rare disease. There is no cure. What was the actual disease that Bob Saget's sister had?
4: I don't remember. I do know. Uh, it's rare, I think, because I think I, or I know for a fact that Bob Saget has done, you know, a ton of, of um, you know, work in the subsequent years to try to help, you know, raise money and find a cure. So
2: it's spelled S-C-L-E-R-O-D-E-R-M-A. Uh, systematic scleroderma. Derma. Um, I have no idea what it means, yeah. except that, okay, it's an incurable chronic disease, which means hard skin in oh. some patients. Scarring forms in the lungs and on the skin, changing a person's appearance in other patients. The blood vessels are predominantly affected, leading to, sorry, leading to profound loss of lung function over an extended period of time. So, yeah.
4: so I know Bob Saget has been like a huge advocate for that. We
2: sense, find out later that you know post her passing spoiler alert uh that he directed a film yeah. about his sister's disease
0: hey, hey. what's this? what are you doing here uh,
2: sherry said it's where i'd find you I left a couple messages but
0: this won't be i'm uh, sorry it's been crazy there so somewhere we can talk sure yeah hey come on Just go over here you're
2: right.
0: sure it's a pretty rare disease
3: and doctors say the form
0: I have is particularly severe. So how do we fix this? Whatever it takes, we'll do it. Don't worry about the money, okay? Okay.
1: That's what I'm trying to tell you. There's no
2: cure. <laughs> John Stamos at this point is dating Paula Abdul. Really quick scene. It's them arriving at a red carpet. Everyone's like, John, John, what's it like to date Paula Abdul? and he's like it's great and then they're like you still on that kid show and he's like yeah like as if they don't know that he's on the most popular show on television um, then this is a famous scene in the real story okay this is this is the big scene
4: the mannequin bit
2: yeah uh-huh. so in the re- in the real life story what happened was is they were in Michelle's bedroom and there was a doll there that was meant to represent Michelle And the two of them were bored, like, during takes, between takes, and they decided to pick up the doll and pretend, like, mimic having sex with it. And, like, Bob had it bent over the bed, and he was, like, just, like, plowing this dummy. And um, the monitors were running. The cameras were playing the dress rehearsal to everywhere on the set, including Jeff Franklin's office the dressing room where the children were, the tutor's office, like everywhere that it could have gone that would have been wrong, it went. And the way that they do this, and this is so just like telling of the storytelling, is that while we are seeing this come through the monitors, which is actually just Bob Saget with a... Dress like a dress mannequin, mannequin. just like
4: trying talking about kissing it and you know undressing it a little bit.
2: And it's wearing like a sequin dress. Even the mannequin itself is covered.
4: Yeah, there's no face or head on it or anything. It's
2: just a dress form with a man with like a sequin with like a sequin dress on it. And so he's like rolling around the set with it, doing this bit. And while uh, we're seeing this, it goes into a TV monitor and we're in Jeff Franklin's office and he's overseeing all of this new Mary Kate and Ashley merchandise that has just come out. And we see like those pencil cases with the bumpy tops and like uh, folders and they just recorded a CD. And he's like, wow, all this for Mary Kate um, and Ashley. Mary Kate and
4: Ashley Adventures were so awesome.
2: Dual Star was blowing up. And basically, um, he's like, okay, like, they're doing really well. He's like, maybe I can pitch an idea to ABC for them to do a movie, a Christmas movie. And Oh, To
4: Grandmother's House We Go.
2: To Grandmother's House We Go. Exactly yeah. right. They never said the title, but, like, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, then we see Jeff uh, catch wind of what Bob is doing on set. And Jeff is flipping the fuck out on Bob. And he's like, hey, whatever's going on, he goes, Sorry. He goes, hey, whatever's going on in your personal life, keep it off my set. And it's like, hey, like, what is the world in which his sister dying manifests in him pretending to have sex with a mannequin that represents a small child? Yeah,
4: it was like the screenwriting. They were just they were forcing to. So imagine two storylines like, um, you know, two trains and the trains are never going to pass. Well, the, the screenwriters decided to just make these two trains crash head first. Had yes. nothing to do with each other. And,
2: like, in the middle of it is a car doing donuts about how Mary <laughs> Kate and Ashley are coming up. Like, yeah. it's like it's a, a 500 person accident. It's very, very dark. So, um,. Then we see uh, Candace reading a tabloid in the backyard set and John is playing guitar. He spots her reading the tabloid and he's like, hey, I hardly read those myself anymore. Um, and he comes over and reads it and says, Tracy Gold's anorexia developed while in the growing yeah. pain set. And like this is another example of two trains that would have never passed because this is like. Tracy Gold's anorexia happened way before 1993. That's yeah, exactly. like would that not have been popping off at the same time? No. And um Candace says something about how the magazines call her chubby, but she doesn't believe it, which I think I remember. I think I yeah, remember oh, people yeah. saying DJ Tiger was beat and chubby. Stuff. They I mean they would say that Candace Cameron was fat. Yeah. Oh
4: yeah. I can't I even I don't even
2: this. remember that. And like yeah. I, that must have been so like you have sisters, right? Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. a little bit older than you? Yeah, yeah, I
4: have two older sisters.
2: And so, like, were they into that stuff? Do you think that part of your full house addiction comes from the fact that you have two older sisters? I it think wasn't so. the most popular boys' show.
4: No, I think so. I think we all watched, yeah, I think they were probably watching it right away. And it was, a, I was obviously a baby when it started. But yeah, I think I probably watched it with my sisters and, um, Yeah, I think that is something we would do a lot because we would watch TGIF, you know, every Friday together. Like when a babysitter would come over, we would watch these shows. And um, so, yeah, and and it was also, though, confusing because when I was really young, you know, I had these cool older sisters that I liked, but I also had older TV sisters that (laughs) I maybe didn't like as much, but they all felt like a part of the same family where I actually saw some sometimes and then I saw, I never saw any of the others unless it was on TV.
2: And the irony of all that is, is like one of those sisters was my sister.
4: Yeah, exactly. And
2: that's just wild.
4: That is wild.
2: John and Candace are still talking by the pool about this whole tabloid thing. And Candace says that sometimes the magazines call her chubby, been there, done that. And then she tells John that she's thinking about getting closer to God per her brother's suggestion. So that fame is easier for her. And John's like, chase what your dream is. Candace, like everyone has their something. Which is, like, interesting because, like, that's another sliding doors moment for America. Like, we could have had Candace on our side as a normal.
4: Yeah. But I'll say, and I I truly believe this, I envy religious people so much. Sure. Oh,
2: of course.
4: I think that's one of my biggest things of, like, to be religious and to have that peace of mind would be great. So that's why I I truly believe when I'm like a 70, 80-year-old man, I'm going to be the most Jewish man in the world.
2: So another blind item – um there was one that was like what view co-host is against interracial marriage (laughs) or like in like off camera openly against interracial marriage like totally candace okay no
4: no thank you candace i don't envy you
2: (laughs) but i mean like at the same time like you're right there is something in the peace of mind where it's just like you don't even have to question like Yeah, whatever. It's in it's in the divine plan.
4: Yeah, whatever
2: divine plan. I would
4: be just chilling on my deathbed, like the happiest person in the world. Just like bring all my grandbabies around. I'm gonna tell you where I'm going to.
2: Absolutely. So then Dave's sister has passed away, uh, and Dave and uh, or John and Bob find out that Dave is back a little bit earlier than planned. Um, The guys tell him like dude, go home, like, spend some time with your wife, your kid, like, your sister just passed. You need this time right now. And he's like, well, that would be awkward because we're getting divorced. Um, and Dave tells him that he and Jane are getting divorced after less than two years because nothing was ever perfect and it shouldn't have happened anyway. Like, very dark, not a yeah. lot of follow-up on that.
4: No, they just do nitrous together.
2: Yes, and, well, we're about to get there, oh, but, sorry, like... sorry, sorry, And No, because it's it, it's the best the best scene, but... um. What was interesting was that after this, like, long pep talk, Dave Coulier just pulls Michelle into his lap and gives her a kiss on the head like it was his actual child comforting him, which, like, I was like, okay, interesting undertone. Maybe they were really like kids, especially to someone like Dave Coulier. I feel like he's always been the most lost and needed the most.
4: and a heart of gold, though. Like, you don't really – I don't think of Dave Coulier as too much of a creep other than – Just, you know, the alleged song lyrics.
2: Absolutely. Um, So it's 1993 now. Candace is trying out real school. Uh, They brought in a new new actress who I just wrote, like, thank God.
4: She did well. The weird part was I thought she sounded way more like Jodie Sweetin than – Candace, Candace Cameron.
2: Well I went in right away and tried to figure it out and I was like I think she's Canadian sure enough she's Canadian. She's gotcha. from British Columbia. She, that's why like her voice is weird. Uh, and a guy asked her out and she's like you know like yeah sure whatever. So two girls in the hallway are staring at her and they're loudly making fun of her and they're basically like Oh my god could she be any more conceited? When I'm on set it's just so boring. She thinks she's this big deal but she's not even that pretty. It's so so stupid. I know factually that they gave this story that was actually Jody's to Candace because Candace never went to real school. Yeah. Jody did. Jody's from like somewhere just like probably 30 to 40 minutes outside of Los Angeles, which you can probably attest to as someone who lives here is like the weirdest type of person. Of course. Yeah. Like you're not from LA. You're not from somewhere else in the world. You're just from about 45 minutes outside yeah. of LA where God knows what happened. Or like
4: this is. Farther, I think, but like Riverside people, like yeah. what made you just decide
2: what happened to you
4: to go there? Yeah, but
2: like not even what happened to you. What happened to your parents and your parents parents before that? Yeah, like it was, what's wrong?
4: It was the people. I really think it was the people that just got here a little too late for the gold rush and were like, well, I'll just go right here
2: absolutely absolutely um the girls are on set talking about school and andrea's like don't let the haters get you down which is like such an andrea barber attitude
4: yeah she's such a good friend and like, then jody's like
2: day. i like it being just us which i don't know if i mean yes i think that is true of jody she came onto full house at age six she is my sister if anyone knows i would yeah but like I don't know. They kind of, like, portrayed Jody to be just, like, this loner. I mean, perfect setup for a drug addict, I guess. Yeah. But, for like, for them to never slam dunk it, home for us.
4: No, we got no stories. We got these bits of promised stories that were never going to materialize. And so that's why I need to read the book.
2: Yes. I haven't
4: read it yet.
2: I would say the first Jody, the first Jody in this... Film did the best job capturing Jody yes. out of all the Jodies. Yeah. For sure. Like she really delivered some lines just like Jody. I think that I heard it's dangerous to wake up people who are sleepwalking. That was very Jody-esque. Yeah. Um, so then um Candace is like, well, you'll have to go to normal school eventually, which is something else they bring up a lot in Unsweetened, which is that everyone was very aware of the fact that this was all gonna go away someday. Um, the actress playing Andrea Barber really has her mannerisms down. That's what I wrote yeah. here. They go outside to a photo shoot, and like that's where Jarny and Candace's mom get to kind of really see how famous the girls are now. And there's like twenty thousand people outside it was, like, waiting the mall for tour, them. I think right? Yes, absolutely. So we also find out. Oh God, this is like the most pointless scene in the whole movie, and one of the best. You just mentioned it. Bob, Dave, and John are in prop storage during a live taping while Lori and Michelle are picking up a scene. Yeah. And um, they decide to do whippets to pass the time. um, And they get into this, like, whipped cream fight, which is, like, first of all, completely irresponsible. Like, these three yeah. actors have just spent hours in hair and makeup, so and they, like, do a whippet and decide to completely ruin their costumes. Yeah. It's so odd. Like, I believe they did whippets. I don't believe they ruined their hair and makeup.
4: No, but, yeah, Tape Night, like, I- I've worked on a multicam before, and Tape Night is one of those nights where... If you've gone three hours and the audience is there and everyone's just kind of standing around craft services waiting to get home, if the three stars of your show come out with whipped cream all over themselves, everyone's just like, fuck this, what am I doing here still?
2: And also, what the fuck is a wardrobe doing? Like, yeah. does is is Bob so confident? And that wardrobe has three backups that he can just spray his shirt with whipped cream. I mean, they'll have backups if this is a scene where it's likely that uh, something's going to get fucked up. But whatever. It's just a weird scene. And, like, the best part was I, like, took all these screen caps of... I just finally started watching these on... um on youtube with a closed caption on and this is just so people at home know this one was not on the lifetime movie club but it is available for purchase for 2.99 i believe on the youtube Full house
4: unauthorized story yeah and 99 it is on, uh, cents for it is rental on the Full house movie club i i actually got
2: oh the lifetime movie club is the on li- there today? yeah i
4: got the i got the lifetime movie club subscription at, so i could watch this twice
2: when was this though? Last week. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I so this it is once. a new release.
4: Yeah, I watched it once last week, and I watched it again today, and it was still up today. So.
2: I love the closed caption being gas hissing, men inhaling, and then all <laughs> giggling deliriously. So I mean, this screenshot me of, is amazing.
4: This reminded me of uh, my favorite band, Fish. Uh-huh. After after Fish shows, you walk out and you just start hearing a hiss. And it's everyone filling up balloons of nitrous, um, kind of like whippets, and just kind of, you know, sucking those down. And it's a really weird, scary scene because everyone just is roaming around like The Walking Dead. And it really reminded me of that.
2: Um, I haven't watched The Walking Dead, and I've never seen Lie, but someday I will. I just sent you, I just texted you this picture. I think this screen cap is... Probably the greatest sc- screen cap of all time, <laughs> and I didn't even mean to make it that good. I just wanted to get that caption in. I all mean,
4: giggling deliriously.
2: All of these actors are selling the fuck out of this yeah. right now this is like some of the best acting i've seen almost ever
4: and the shot actually makes it look like them it yeah. looks they this is the most they've ever looked like the actual actors i think
2: i mean can i win an award for screen capping something so perfectly like this is i think it's heaven. a creative
4: i think that might be a creative M- emmy uh category at
2: i i think i'm gonna win okay so then from there we go to um okay Oof. Uh, Mary-Kate and Ashley are blowing up They're being invited in all the big talk shows The fake talk show host that's meant to look like Jay Leno, I assume All the other girls are watching in hair and makeup And they're jealous um, They're officially millionaires now We learn that Mary-Kate and Ashley are so big That they have made over a million dollars each um, Jarni pulls David into the girls' dressing room And she's like Millionaires? Our girls? This is going way too far
1: pretty reasonable,
0: Johnny. That is a lot of money.
2: David, we need to stop this. This is already way more than the girls will ever need.
0: I know it's a lot to take Get in. Their but...
3: children, and now they have this whole company. Yeah, but they're happy,
0: right? They Mary-Kate and Ashley love it here.
3: They don't know anything else. This is the only thing that they've ever experienced.
0: And it's been pretty great so far. So what do you want to do, Johnny? You want to throw everything away because you're afraid of what might happen? How are you going to explain that to them when they're older?
3: We will say that we agreed it's in their best interest. I don't agree. test
2: tonight.
1: Her mom said it, okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. Go play. Talk about this later. I want to go over some things with Robert before he leaves.
2: Which, like, also weird homosexual undertone in the way that David said, "like I need to talk to Jeff after hours." Like, yeah. it was very weird.
4: Yeah. Um, and are, so here's a question are the Olsen twins are their parents still together divorced,
2: divorced. and if you because you'll remember during the final scene we see David making out
4: oh. with the girl that
2: used to be his assistant
4: Yeah. oh yeah 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 oh, not to flash forward
2: but like I literally think I'm gonna make a Saint Jarny prayer medal and like you and I can wear that together like Please. I feel like I'll make two two of a kind thank you just like the show um so John Stamos plays knocking on heaven's door with the rippers um Oh, sorry. I cut ahead. It's the funeral and the entire. Okay, gay so passed away. Gay has passed away. I assume of being named Gay and having Bob Saget be your brother your whole life. Like, first of all, like at no point do they touch on the fact that like how could a Bob Saget like based based on everything about his humor we know handled having a sister named Gay. Yeah. Like, what do you think he did to her their entire life? That
4: must have been what turned him the into disease. the filthiest mind. That, that's his origin story, I think.
2: Like, throughout this film, no one questions the fact... I mean, is it Gayle, but Gay is a nickname? Well,
4: no, I actually... I know women named Gay that are probably I know, around that men age.
2: named Gay.
4: Yeah. Okay. And so, I don't think it was that abnormal... But you're Bob Saget's sister, and he's the filthiest mind of any human. I'd be like,
2: just call me G. Yeah,
4: exactly. Because
2: at that point, it's like, first of all, not the easiest thing, especially with all the sophomore people in the universe, myself included, to walk up to people and say, hello, my name is gay. Hi, I'm gay. Not the easiest thing.
4: The gays that I've met, I think they actually really own it in a good way of like... Are you going to crack a smile? Because that's my
2: fucking name. No, by the way, like, it's so true. Like, that is like, I remember when um, Nicole Richie and Joel Madden named their son Sparrow. That (laughs) Joel Madden wrote in a magazine, like, or gave a quote to a magazine saying, like, I wanted to give him something to fight for. Like, you have to be tough as fuck with a name like that. And it's true. Like, anytime I've met a guy named Gay, like, you're just like, I'm going to roll with this. Yeah. Not ask a damn question. Like, I can't say anything they haven't heard before. But that said, Bob Saget can't keep a cork in it based on everything we've ever learned. So no. I don't know. I wouldn't say that whatever she passed of was brought on by the stress of being made fun of by her hilarious comedian brother all the time. But It was pretty dark. Yeah. So we're at the funeral and um, the Full House cast is making up about 70% of the guests. Um, is this a Jewish tradition, can I ask, to like throw a handful of dirt?
4: Yeah. That's well, a Jewish Well, it's thing? a little different though. So you you do... You shovel dirt in. People shovel with the backside of a, a shovel. Okay. So it was like Jewish tradition adjacent. There's definitely like family members and friends. Jew adjacent. Jew adjacent. It yeah. was Jew adjacent. Well, my rap I name.
2: think. Um, I think that that's interesting because I, I don't know I, I haven't been to too many like uh going to actually bury the things. You haven't come. been to too many weddings. Haven't been to too many funerals. Kind of grateful for that. Yeah.
3: liar
0: let's put it this way we're actually happy to be here distraction's good (laughs) that was great
3: guys i'm glad you're all here um i have something important to tell you
0: are we getting canceled
3: No, no, nothing like that. Since they moved us to Tuesday nights, the show's doing really well. In fact, we were ranked number 14 this week. Wow. (laughs) Our success is actually partially responsible for what I have to tell you. ABC picked up my new show, Hanging with Mr. Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) It's great news, but the trouble is they want me to focus all my time on it. Looks
4: like nothing lasts forever.
2: Nothing does last forever, which is, like, very true, but also, like... Did you watch hanging with Mr. Cooper I
4: did yeah it was uh Mark Cur- what is
2: Mark it? Cooper and Raven yeah. Simone and then I think Jack Hay
4: yeah I forgot about it I just know I'm pretty sure he was a basketball coach yes yeah that was also a teacher and the kids got to hang with him
2: but it never had the sparkle and now that I know that Jeff Franklin is like a total pathological liar in pitches and can just come up with anything out of nowhere like I felt like they were like we need it to be a ethnic family comedy, uh, yeah. and I, you know, something that, and like, then I'm just go to a place where I'm like, oh, a black basketball coach, yeah, really, Jeff, yeah, really.
4: And I, but I do think it's interesting that we are entering this time in TV where diversity is king, which is great, obviously. But sure. I remember the '90s were very much like that, and yeah. so I don't know what happened. I. Th- I honestly think that 9-11 happened and then we had all of these flag-waving people. Uh, I'm actually not going to start talking about 9-11.
2: No, I mean you don't want to bring up nine eleven during the full, hop, <laughs> full house, unauthorized <laughs> podcast. That's not like
4: or flag waivers or. Uh,
2: but here's the thing: is that <laughs> this was very true. <clears throat> In the nineties, they were much more shamelessly, and I always think of the Burger King Kids Club, like wheels. much more sh- wheels was everything, much more shamelessly like Magic School Bus. Anything else? They were like, we need a Latino. We need a black. We need an Asian. We need some sort of redhead or strange-haired-colored head. We need a um, handicapped person. And we'll just round it out with about six white people. Well, yeah.
4: Actually, in in 100% all seriousness, too, I think the problem with those um, quote-unquote diverse sitcoms was that they didn't try to depict black families. They tried to to depict white families –
2: with black... With
4: black yes, characters.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. You're exactly right. And, like, and, yes, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Which is weird because it's, like, when you look at, like, the Cosby show, for example, like, it was marketed toward white people that yeah. needed to see that black people could live equally exactly. charming, amazing lives with beautiful families. But, like, it was... And that's how... They had to go pretty white and then go – and then from there build back and start including, like, beautiful African art in the home and, like, really kind of celebrate their culture after they already went to this other extreme. Yeah,
4: with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as well. It's like, well, let's let's just do this in Bel-Air and let's just depict a very rich family and not really pull in any parts of, you know, some authentic – Black experience,
2: absolutely, absolutely. Which I think y- both you and I are qualified to talk about. Yeah, we should, <laughs> we should
4: be talking about this.
2: Um. So. We're backstage at an event that John Stamos has been hired to host. It's a fashion event, and Dave is drinking and enjoying himself. He's hitting on all the models. He's looking forward to the after party. He tells Stamos, like, I'm ready to go, and Stamos is like, I'm going to pass, dude. He's like, I've been there, done that. I'm trying to reel it in. Then all of a sudden, he steps on the gown of a beautiful blonde. She turns around. It's Rebecca Romaine. Now, this is why this show was exactly appropriately this movie was exactly appropriately pushed together, where it's like he didn't meet Rebecca romaine until maybe four or five years after Philosophers yeah, was off the air. Exactly.
4: She was very established at that point when they started dating because even Rebecca romaine was on my radar.
2: She was like definitely sort of a bumpkin at in this in this scene. Like she was supposed to be seen as just some like casual backstage blonde of some sort. Um, and she's like, he's like, What's your name? And she's like, It's Rebecca.
4: Yeah, and I've Rebecca been there. Romaine. I've been there. I've been one of those casual backstage blondes and you don't just run into John Stamos types.
2: I know, not right away anyway. So, um okay, Dave is passing a bus stop and it has a Seinfeld poster up on it. The guys are switching over the posters and it says Seinfeld America's new number one comedy and Dave's like hey what's going on I like the old poster and his <laughs> same Mercedes so then Dave uh goes over and tell the guys like in a huddle he's like Lori's getting a divorce um and the guys are like oh really is she okay and um Jesse goes over and he's like, hey, are you okay? She's like, yeah. She's like, as long as I have you as my TV husband. Then the execs come in and they're basically like Miller Boyette, I guess, come in and they're like, hey so we've had a great eight years which like at that point I would have just started I would have gone in my dressing room and started packing like yeah. after like they really needed to get to the end of this speech like come on now so um, he's like
0: hey everybody can I talk to you for a minute yeah
2: hey, sure, Yeah. Uh,
0: first I just want to say we've had an incredible eight seasons we? <laughs> yeah. full house survived when everybody thought we were dead on arrival not just survived but Became a bonafide hit? <laughs> unfortunately, we just heard from ABC that they made a decision not to renew the show for next season. Are
1: you
3: serious?
0: What? Oh, are you kidding The episode this week will, unfortunately, be our last.
2: I don't understand.
1: You're not saying we're canceled. It came down to the wire. The execs just feel the network's heading in a different direction these days.
0: We're not edgy enough for them, huh? Yeah, we're edgy enough for
1: 11 million viewers every week. Yeah.
0: Sometimes these decisions make no sense. But the important thing is to remember that you created something special. Something that'll live on for years to come.
2: That's
0: okay. Believe me, we're as disappointed as you are. We're very, very sorry.
2: I don't know. For some reason in this scene, they have the new Mary-Kate and Ashley, and they look like they're 15.
4: Yeah, and they also, like I said earlier, no Mary-Kate and Ashley actresses captured even one iota of what made them stars
2: (laughs) nothing nothing was there and also like but i take exception to jody because i feel yeah yeah. you know jody 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 was phenomenal and they only gave her one how rude i was wondering where a lot of the things like um you're in big trouble mister came up oh my Lanta came up how rude came up but where was like have mercy.
4: Yeah, I don't think he said have mercy once.
2: And where was cut it out?
4: Not said Nowhere once. Nowhere
2: to be seen.
4: They, honestly, those might have been such big ones that they're trademarked and you can't say them.
2: I was wondering, like, is there any way to, like, tra- but is have mercy, I mean, I guess have mercy, but then why not how rude?
4: Yeah, exactly.
2: I mean, maybe how rude is so, like, common. Yeah, I mean, maybe she was- said it
4: with a different, you know, She'd have said it in a different way or something. Different cadence.
2: Who knows? So then Dave comes over. Oh, wait, sorry. So sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, so then Lori's like, now I don't even have a TV husband. Sad. It was sad. It's 1995. It's the final taping. It's the last scene. DJ is going to the prom. Um... Kimmy surprises her with Steve who's her date oh my god now the guy who plays Steve Steve was so hot if you guys are like aware of life like he was the voice of Aladdin yeah and like very hot and like also it's hard to have a hotness that translates in um voiceover yeah like Jonathan Taylor Thomas as Simba was like very hot um I would say that like yeah I would say that this guy Scott as uh Aladdin very hot Um, He
4: showed up as Aladdin on the show also, if you remember. Yeah. When they went to Disney World, um, DJ was really missing Steve, and she kept seeing him everywhere. And during the Aladdin show, we saw a picture of – or we saw one shot of him as live Aladdin. And I thought that was one of the coolest Easter eggs of the 1990s.
2: It was really fantastic. And more than that, like – I don't know. Like, I think that you could hear Steve smile in his voice. Yeah. And I think that's how he got cast.
4: And he just, knowing, uh, this is not going to be too much of a love fest, but knowing a little about him in real life, he was also, like, a really great, smart guy. And yeah. I think that came through with the character of, like, he's playing this, like, bumbling guy who, like, just cares about food. But, like, you know under there that, like, he's a cool guy. I think yeah. that's why I always wish that he was my older brother.
2: Speaking of, like, cool guys and um, cartoons and siblings, um, did you know that Jody Sweeten was the voice of Daisy in one of the early Peanuts cartoons? No. Yeah, she was.
4: Wow. Yeah. God, Jody has just had such a colored career. She's so
2: great. Right. Um, so we find out that, oh, the final line of the series is the way we always do. Uh, it's delivered by Bob Saget, and then... Um, we find out that they did 192 episodes of this show, which is yeah. pretty phenomenal.
4: Yeah, that's why I, w- I was really – my favorite detail of the cover page to the Full House Reunion special that I wrote was I wrote episode 193 because I was like, they've done 192 this is the this is the end
2: Yeah you like fully covered that that's really interesting. I had no idea 192 is so many
4: yeah I mean that's why I just feel like it's been going on for the last 20, 20 years now is there's just they start the cycle must take. Years.
2: Yeah, I mean the them. episode first syndication is considered to be one hundred. Uh and the fact that they're up to two hundred almost two hundred is wild. So um this is a post-full house world. We see that John's moving forward in his relationship with Rebecca Romaine. He's starring to uh he's starring in how to how to do well in business without really trying on Broadway. And um he is like totally in love with Rebecca, she's feeling him, he's feeling her. Then we see um, that uh, Bob Saget, a.k.a. Danny Tanner, is being left by his wife. And he says, like...
0: How's that for a punchline? finally get to stop playing a single dad with three daughters? Now I've become one.
2: Very dark. Um, This is a very interesting thing. So... We go backstage at a hockey game, a charity hockey game. Dave Coulier was playing. Uh, Candace and Lori go together to go see him. And after the game, Dave introduced... Candace to a guy named Val Bure who's a Canadian or he plays for Montreal but he's from Russia and he learned how to speak English watching Full House and he says to her oh it? my lanta yeah. <laughs> it's the most wild
4: I thought that was the most unbelievable part of the entire film I learned to watch, or I learned to speak English watching Full House. Was that real, do you think?
2: I mean, I feel like I've heard, like, Juliana Rancic learned how to speak English when she moved here from Italy watching TV, and Juliana Rancic speaks fluent English. I feel like I've heard of a lot of people learning how to watch, like, or speak English through. It's amazing. Uh, Didn't, um, What's Her Face from Wayne's World, Cassandra, didn't she learn how to speak TV, or speak through TV? Oh,
4: actually, it's... I, I get it. I actually learned how to speak French watching Shook a lot, so. There you go. Boom.
2: Um, okay, so uh, first black person in the movie, we go to, uh, <laughs> it's Candace Cameron's wedding. She's getting married to Val Bure. Um, Dave turns to an elderly black person, and she's a sweet little old lady who I'm like Who is she related to? Why is she at this wedding? Was she like a consistent background person? She doesn't even have a line. Uh, And Dave is sitting next to her going like, told you, like, I always had a matchmaking skill. I could have done this, blah, blah, blah. Um, We see that David Olsen is making out at the reception with his former assistant. Candace's mom explained that the girl's success is so big. A lot of couples can't handle this stuff. They've broken up. Bob Saget makes a speech at the wedding. Hey,
0: everybody, grab a glass!
2: You better watch out for those two. They're party
0: animals. One glass of sparkling cider, and they're cut off. I don't think we should let him give the speech. There are children present. It's
2: nothing we haven't heard before. She knows. She knows.
0: <laughs> I think you all know that I have practically nothing in common with Danny Tanner. Except you're both strikingly handsome. Except that. <laughs> but I want you all to know that I'm finally coming to understand something about Danny that I never really appreciated before. The best thing about Danny was that he knew what was important. He surrounded himself with the people he loved. And ate lots of ice cream.
1: And hugs. So much hugging
0: <laughs> Yes, ice cream and hugs and lots and lots of love. So, Candace, we wish you every happiness as you start your new family. But just know that wherever you go, wherever any of us go, we'll always have this family, too. When we made
2: now i just really want to quickly interrupt that jody this was a pivotal moment in unsweetened because in my sister's book she talks about how at candace cameron's wedding that was the first time she drank alcohol and she was there with her boyfriend at the time who was like her high school boyfriend that stayed with her until i believe they got married at 21 i think her boyfriend was sean her first husband Mm -hmm. um and she by the time she would like finish her glass of wine they were still like make the waiter was still making his rounds around the table so she was like slamming wine yeah her first time drinking and like when I read that, I was like truly shocked because like the first time I drank, I think I drank like four sips of alcohol and I was like, I, this is crazy. Why yeah. would anyone do this? Totally. But she was, she slammed like two bottles of wine her first night ever drinking. Um, and they don't cover this at all. Jody was also a bridesmaid in this wedding. They don't cover that at all. Um, the Olsen twins are there. There's kind of a dancing montage where they're all celebrating Candace's wedding and they're, like, so happy for her or whatever. They're doing a toast. And then I want to go into the super weird closing narration from Dave Coulier. Yeah. Now, after that, I just want to talk about this with you. What was the point of having Dave Coulier, of all people, narrate this?
4: It was so strange because... If anyone has the least interesting story in all of Full House, I think it's Dave Coulier. Yeah. I think it ended – I think the the interesting part of his story – ended at the very beginning of not getting SNL and then getting Full House.
2: Yeah, I'm almost wondering because like it seems like they had to keep all of the stories off the girls. It's like he maybe had the most interesting story out of the three guys. And also he was the first cast out of the three guys. And I
4: also think that that actually might have worked to the favor of him narrating because if he's the point of view care, it would be hard for – um, the Bob Saget character to be the point of view character because sure. we wanted to see so much of him. And we wanted to see... You can't really see it from Stamos's eyes because he was the heartthrob of the whole thing. So I guess it makes sense in a writerly way of Kool-Aid being the point of view character. But at the same time, it was the least interesting. So maybe it was because he could see it with a little more of a bird's eye view.
2: I agree. I totally agree. I think, yeah. And also, he is this is a lifetime movie, and I feel that he has the most feminine personality yeah. out of the three men. Yeah. And we probably. need that. Yeah. So, um, again, just this title card that came up at the end. Although, based on a true story, certain names have been changed, and some characters, timelines, and events portrayed in this motion picture are fictional or have been altered for the process of dramatization. Um, interesting title card to come up at the end. Again, I really felt that that would have just driven home for me basically everything I needed. Yeah,
4: I wish they would have said, hey, we, we, we toned down the drama. Yeah. 1,000% for this movie and we're only calling it unauthorized because it's a part of a series of unauthorized, um, movies where we're going to tell much racier stories. This one... The, the most fucked up part about this, quote unquote, fucked up in the movie was that all the guys felt like this was kind of below them.
2: Yeah. It was like the whole thing throughout was like too soft. It's like this is a show about poop jokes and like kids and whatever. It was very – I mean but also at the same time like this is about accepting who you are and where you are.
4: Yeah. Like, and making your own family. It's like because – yeah, at the end, they're like, yeah, well, we'll always be a family. And then that was so great. Going back to the last scene for a second, though, why did they pull – why did they bring back Dave Coulier making a fart joke? Did he make a fart yeah. joke at Candace Cameron's wedding? Like, come on.
2: I mean, almost – I expect nothing more or less from Coulier. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like he probably would have. I don't – I just don't know. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go over a lifetime, lifetime uh, achievement uh, scale, I believe you call it. So um, basically everything is uh, ranked on a scale of one to five. One being the least lifetimey, meaning the most legitimate. Um, think like Tilda Swinton. And five being the most lifetimey. So on a scale of one to five, where would you put the acting in this?
4: Five being the best
2: most lifetimey
4: um it was it was a 4
2: i would say a 4 i mean i own a, i i kind of been leaning towards 4.5 4.5 yeah. but yeah um underreactions meaning that something happened that was awful or insane or whatever and no one reacted to it like it was a real thing
4: well yeah i'm going to put that at a 4.5 because of every divorce
2: absolutely the entire thing was like Yeah, I guess I'm divorced. Like, as if, like, you don't... Like, the Lori Loughlin divorce, like, really shocked me because, like, her co-stars had no idea that things were even awry in the marriage. Same with Dave. It's like, this is supposedly your quote-unquote family. Like, not even, like, me and Jody. Like, like, because we're actual family. Like, this is, like, your, like, adopted family. Your chosen family. And you guys don't even know each other. Um, Overreactions are things that were super blatant and uh but yet the person overreacted to it in a crazy way
4: i actually would put this lower i would put this at a two or a three because i feel like there were really no overreactions it was only it was only bob saget character overreacting in a not emotional way to Making so much money.
2: Yes, I agree. And I also thought that, like, when the series got canceled, I noticed that every single person got a assuaged. Their feelings were, like, calmed when someone was like, it's okay, sweetie. Like, they used it's okay, sweetie three times yeah. in that one scene. I was like, can just one mother say something to her child different yeah. than the other two characters?
4: And they kept saying, like, nothing that a couple bowls of ice cream and a big hug won't help.
2: Okay, so this is, like, when I was thinking about this, like, the first time the hugs and the ice cream came up was literally at 59 minutes in. Yeah. And then that was the last thing they brought up again. Like, they were like, everything was solved with some hugs and ice cream. And I was like... Wait, but you didn't say that till 59 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Like if this we isn't had a t- narrative through line. Yeah, this is like, okay, so you picked up ice cream and hugs like 59 minutes in and decided that's your callback? Yeah. Like I needed an ice cream and hugs at the top. Yeah. You know, like if Jeff Franklin in the pitch meeting said everything's solved with ice cream and hugs, hello, Boom. I'm on board. There yeah. you go. N- nice little package. Dialogue in this. Dude, I'm giving this a five.
4: Yeah. Five This was dialogue. like a five. I feel like this was written in 1985
2: absolutely absolutely but like in 1985 it would have been shameful and a clam yeah like it would have been bad then so then wardrobe which has an overall but then also two subcategories wigs and weaves and also makeup um wardrobe where do you fall on this one
4: um so generally character wardrobe i would i would give it a very high, I would give it five marks because it was yeah, very high. I agree. But I do think that the suits that Franklin wore were did not ring true for the nineteen nineties. Okay. Franklin that Jeff Franklin character could have stepped out into two thousand sixteen and sold a show in a minute.
2: Hey, he's more than just a haircut. Yeah. Okay, like I think that it's so interesting. The Jeff Franklin character was like, first of all, the hottest person in the entire movie. Good looking man. Like I would sleep with the actor. Well, no, actually I wouldn't. But like I would, I would like mentally pretend I would sleep with, like you know, I would say say that at a party, like oh, I'd sleep with him, but I wouldn't actually, because uh, like he would probably be a douche. Yeah, that, you know that actor. He had kind of a douche vibe. We're gonna do some like math after this, but um. Like, we're going to go through IMDb and figure out what these guys' deals are. But anyway, he was definitely the hottest. Wigs and Weaves, I, I'm i going to give this, like, a four.
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm up there. I, I actually would rate it a little higher. I'm going to go 4.5 on it just because I wrote it down a few times. It was like, that looks like Jesse's hair. If I cover part of the face, that's Jesse right there.
2: I'm going to give that a four or five two. too. I agree. Makeup?
4: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I... I don't even really know how to comment. I didn't notice it in in a negative or positive way.
2: I'm going to give it I'm going to give it 4. It was very heavy on the guys. Like I I felt that the makeup was really really heavy on the guys. I felt that anytime they needed to um dress anything up, they really like it was a little too much. Everything in this movie was a little extra. Yeah. Um crying. I normally like this is I'm looking for the big lifetime crying jag. This for me had none.
4: I don't remember any crying. This might have been a zero because I can't think – the only tears I can think of – I'll give it a one because Candace did some really, really bad fake crying for like two minutes where there were no tears.
2: Yeah, and also um, like there was a complete funeral. Like two people's siblings died during this and there was no like tears at the wedding. In fact, like there was that really weird joke where um, at the funeral, Bob Saget turns to um, Dave Coulier and Coulier is like, so do you want to join my dead sister's club? And everyone's like, Dave, too soon. And he's like, no, like, it, it's a bit or whatever. Yeah,
4: people even weren't saying the too soon joke then, so yeah, it was wild. doesn't ring true.
2: Okay, victimization of the female character. This is usually where we rack up a lot of points, but yeah. there was no... I'm giving this a one.
4: No, we didn't even see them like they alluded to objectifying women, but it was more like women were throwing themselves at him. So
2: and then we have our final category, which is font. And I'm going to give Times New Mexico a three. (laughs)
3: Like it it was very
2: like it was very good, but it was like, okay. so we're at thirty four. Thirty four for this. I think that's pretty high for us. Right. Is that our highest so far? I'm looking at some...
3: I, <clears throat> I think Untouchable,
4: uh, either Untouchable or Jodie Arias are the highest ones.
2: Okay, so this is like thirty-four is really really good though. This is definitely probably. I mean, I can't imagine what they would do in the other unauthorized films.
4: I watched a little bit of the um, the Saved by the Bell one, and that one was really intense. You know, it had to do with like orgies between characters, and um, yeah, it was. They ramped it up.
2: I'm excited. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being here with me. This means a lot to me. As you know, Full House is very, very close to my heart because it is so important to my family. And I just – I thank you so much. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much for having me. I truly – if there was one subject I would want to talk about in a podcast, it would be Full House and it would be with you. So thank you for doing this.
2: And for you guys at home, if you don't listen to my advice podcast, please advise, which you don't have to. I believe we are going to do a table read of your Full House Episode one ninety
4: three. That's it is thrilling. We already have our Danny Tanner, Mister Ryan Bailey,
2: our friend who was supposed to be cast as Bob Saget. Now I kept one. Okay, I, I hope Ryan doesn't mind this, but we're gonna put this in no matter what. What do you think it was that that kept Ryan from getting the part? I'm gonna say he played it too real.
4: Probably, yeah. I mean, he looked. He looks nothing like Saget. True. Um, so I, I would think that would be the biggest thing, but I bet you he, I bet you he really dove into the character and they were like, we we don't need that much. Like we're, we're not going to do that much. And they probably could have used him.
2: Yeah, they probably could have. I mean, but this Bob Saget was... It was really, it was fantastic. Also, probably the role of a lifetime for him. Let's just really, really quickly go through um, this IMDb for the Fuller House uh, or Full House Unauthorized Story. So an actress named Jamie Schneider played Kimmy Gibbler, the older Kimmy Gibbler in this movie. And she's the one that really landed the mannerisms Um, before this Unauthorized Full House Story. She was in a show called um, Derek and Sally Bathtub Killers. And then this, I love this. The Gospel according, acor- sorry, the Gospel according to booze, bullets, and hot pink Jesus. Act two, a saint of sin in the den of thieves. Whoa! It was a short film. And then shortly after this, she did Twisted Tales of My Nine to Five. She's also Canadian. Um, who else do we have in this? No one really was killing it. We have Justin Gaston who played John Stamos. He did uh, Days of Our Lives. He did um, Single Ladies, Chasing the Hill, Game Change, Retail Escape. Wait, Game
4: Change, the HBO movie?
2: Game Change TV movie, yeah. Whoa. He played Levi Johnston. Uh, He's in a movie called Ice Cream. He's playing Mark. That's a TBD. Um, Guy who played Dave Coulier, Justin Mader. He did some interesting looking stuff. He He was in Room. Good. He played an FBI agent, uh, man seeking woman. Good Great. Show. Yeah. He played newscaster. Um, he was in something called The Knot, Covert Affairs, um, Flashpoint. Okay, interesting. These people are having some like very interesting IMDb. Is Garrett Braff played Bob Saget? He was um, in. Jurassic City, Poseidon Rex, it should have been Romeo, uh, hmm. Sardines, Forbidden Border. Okay. Um,
4: Forbidden Border?
2: Yeah. Uh, the Bodyguard 2. Okay. He was on an episode of Judging Amy, something called Pajama Party that had a couple seasons it looked like. Um, then we go into Stephanie Bennett, who played Lori Lockland. She did. Um,
4: Probably soaps, I would think. Same time
2: next week, Shadowhunters, The Mortal Instruments, uh, The oh. Romeo section, Are You My Daughter, TV movie, Unauthorized Full House Story. And then she was in Unreal. She played Pepper in Unreal. Okay. Um, so
4: she's in The Lifetime Family.
2: Yeah, she's a Lifetime Fam member. Now let's just really quickly go to writing credits, Ron McGee. What else has he written? Um, Rizzoli and Isles, he's written a great handful of those. Murder okay. in Mexico, The Bruce Beresford Redman Story, Unauthorized Full House Story. He also wrote Unauthorized Saved by the Bell Story. Okay. Girl versus Monster, Nine Lives of Chloe King, Deadly Honeymoon. He's written a lot of TV movies.
4: Rizzoli and Isles is good. So, he, this is probably like a nice, sweet little side gig he has. He
2: wrote Meatloaf to Helen Back. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Directed by Ryan K. Roberts. What else has he done? Um, he's done a lot of TV movies. Um, en Vogue, he did an Invoke Christmas, uh, Rocky Road, Next Step, Life with the Boys, Really Me, Dan for Mayor. Um,
4: Love Dan. Little Mosque
2: on the Prairie. Um, little
4: Mosque on the Prairie. He did I've a seen show that.
2: called Da Kink in My Hair. Um, all about a girl.
4: I saw Kink Season 1, not Kink Season 2.
2: You didn't see that one?
4: About a Kink in My Hair, Season 2 I saw.
2: Everybody Loves Raymond, seven episodes. Okay. Good for him. So he's doing well. And then I liked her, Brittany Wilson. She played older Candace. And she was
4: good. She was very good.
2: She did a lot. She's in something, probably My Life Story, Bed Bugs, A Love Story, um, On the Farm, uh, Motive. She did several episodes of Rogue, uh, Bates Motel. She was in Johnny Test. She did Arl Stein's The Haunting Hour.
4: Probably a lot of things I film in Vancouver, huh? Yes. I bet you Bates Motel is in Vancouver.
2: Well, yes. She's from Chilwack, British Columbia, Canada. Okay. Um, sh- we have... Okay. Now, my sister was played by... Older Jodie Sweetman was played by someone, ironically, Jordan Ashley Olson. Wow. Is her name. And she was in The Shack, Once Upon a Time, Unauthorized Full House Story, Christmas Shepherd.
4: Who did she play on Once Upon a Time?
2: Uh, Oracle. Another,
4: Van- Another Vancouver show.
2: Oracle slash Young Nurse. Wow. Uh, she also was in author- Unauthorized Save by the Bell Story as the fangirl.
4: Interesting. Um, so I bet you this shot in Vancouver, huh?
2: Probably. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah, probably. And then... Dakota Guppy played the younger Jody, and she was in um, something called The Returned, Dead Rising Endgame, uh, No Men Beyond This Point, Motive, In My Dreams.
4: Someone else was in Motive. Yeah. Yeah. So, wait, her name's Dakota Guppy?
2: Dakota Guppy. I think
4: I'm going to get a tattoo on my leg that says Dakota Guppy.
2: I think that's really smart. Yeah. The actress who played Rebecca Romaine let's just ta- touch on this and then we'll... Tap out. Uh, the best year she was in, Chicknapping, Blood Creek. Um, Love on the Sidelines is something that just came out recently. Um, her la- second to last gig was the unauthorized Full House story. Okay. She was born in. Um, ooh, we Somewhere don't have Canada. any details on that. We don't have any details on that. But really quickly, let's just look at if we have any. Nope, no. Sp- Boof snow uh trivia. After celebrating the announcement of the fourth season, Greek Week, Candace Cameron gets frightened about her first kiss to a boy that her character DJ likes and seeks advice from John Stamos and Lori Loughlin, respectively. When she walks in, Lori's character Becky is telling John's character, Jesse that because they are engaged, she's not allowed to flirt with other women. Jesse and Becky become engaged in the first episode of the fourth season, while DJ kissed Kevin, a boy she liked, in the middle of the third season. Uh oh.
4: I remember these episodes. These are when uh Jesse's Greek family comes in town and they do the like jumping over the chair ritual.
2: And he accidentally gets married. Yeah. You were exactly right.
4: God, that was a good episode.
2: Um, well, thank you so much, Jason. Where can people find you online?
4: Thank you, Malls. Um, at JD Shapiro, at Los Filas Daycare, and at Summer of Chipotle.
2: Love you, dude.
4: I love you. Thank you.
2: Thank you, fam.
1: Forever. You know, after eight seasons and 192 episodes, it was hard to believe it was really over. But we had such good memories. Full House was one of the most successful shows of all time and entertained millions. Of course, as time went on, everyone had their highs and lows. We got married, had children. The twins even created their own fashion lines. Turned out they weren't just adorable, but really smart, too. Bob took the grief he felt for his sister and directed a movie about her brave battle. And to this day, when one of us deals with hard times, or one of the many challenges that life puts in front of us, the other ones do whatever we can to help out. You know, it's pretty incredible. After all these years, we all remain close and get together often. Like the family we are.
2: Thank you for listening to Mother May I Sleep With Podcast. We'd love to hear what you think about the show, so reach out to us on Twitter at M-M-I-S-W-P. And while you're here, why not smash that subscribe button and make us a part of your weekly routine. If you want to go the extra mile, leave us a review. It helps our ranking in the iTunes store and lets other people find the show and share the lifetime love. Today's show was produced by Stephen Ray Morris with support from Christina Lopez. Molly Mae McMahon from Six Peaks made our logo. Thank you so much to Jason Shapiro for being our guest tonight. You can find him on at J.D. Shapiro on Twitter or at Los Feliz Daycare. I'm your host, Molly MacLear, and you can find me across social media as Malls or on Snapchat, MallsOfficial. Until next week.